0: As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT Cares Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash untcares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. This podcast features conversations with UNT faculty, other subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at at olli.unt.edu. now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member Susan Supak.
1: This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Joshua Butler, founder and director of the Thin Line Fest, a five day film and multi genre music festival right here in Denton, Texas, from March 24 to March 28, and I might add Joshua is a 2006 graduate of UNT in the field of radio, television, and film. Welcome, Joshua.
2: Thank you, Susan. Really happy to be here.
1: It's great to have you here. As I understand it, this is the 14th year of the Thin Line Fest. How has it evolved since its beginning?
2: Wow, that's a big conversation. Actually, the the word evolve is appropriate because in order to survive, and, and I'm sure this applies to all events and all towns, but from my experience, in order to survive in this town, you really have to adapt. And that means seeing what doesn't work, most importantly, see what does work, and then change a little bit every year to make it more sustainable more more capable just do a better job delivering so that people come back and and we can continue to produce it right i mean if it's too if it's too hard to produce then we might not do it (laughs) again right so we have to balance that kind of service with capabilities
1: how did you get started with thin line fest what gave you the idea
2: uh, you know, I came to Denton in 2003 to attend film school, and it, would, it would, had been sold to me like a mini Austin, and I had never been to Denton before, so my expectations, I guess, were a little high. I, I learned many years on later that as these things do happen cyclically, The kind of previous group of students had done some things in the film media space locally, but of course, and as always happens, most always happens in this town, they graduate. And kind of the energy and effort that they brought goes with them. And so I had come in right after one of these phases. And so there wasn't anything happening that I could perceive at the time to kind of galvanize the film community at the time. I wanted to shoot a music video, actually, and wanted to use the union, the student union, one of the ballrooms there, because I wanted to build a huge 30-foot green screen, which was a totally crazy idea at the time. I know now. And uh, I went to the student union, and I said, I want to use this space. And they told me it was going to be $400. And to me, that was like rent plus at that point. And I thought, what are you talking about? You know, I'm a student, of the money. And so they told me that if I were a student organization, then I would get access for free. So that just got the wheels a spinning. And I went down to the student activity office and I, I found out what I needed to do to create a student organization. So then you know, I needed some students to come on board. And I needed a faculty sponsor. And so I thought, you know, what kind of organization is needed right now for the film community, the filmmaking students? And that's really how it got started. Uh, And then one of my trips to the student activity office, I saw a flyer for running a concession stand out at the Dr. Pepper ballpark in Frisco. And I thought, I played baseball, I like baseball, I thought this is gonna be a good way to raise some money. And so I just kind of blindly signed us up to operate a concession stand that required 10 people for the entire season, which was 75 home games. And, you know, we did it for three years in a row, actually. We raised about $25,000 every summer and it, and it took huge effort. I mean, I had to convince, beg, conjole, bribe, you know, you name it, people to come out and work that concession stand. But we always raised enough money to support our activities through the year. And that first year we got an office and we became an official 501c3 nonprofit and created an official bylaws and, and one of the original goals of the organization was to create a film festival in Denton within the following three years. So that was in September of 2004 and then almost to the date uh, to the year three three years later on Labor Day weekend 2007 we launched the first festival.
1: Wow. That was a very fortunate series of events for us. Thank goodness you had the wherewithal and the stick to itness to do all that.
2: Stick to itness, that's, that's really what it takes because let me tell you, there's no money in this, right? I mean, this is, this is a nonprofit thing. So, and it, in order to constantly improve and constantly grow, it takes just tons of resources, both people capital and real capital and so it does really take some perseverance to just keep going right
1: are you the only documentary film festival in texas are there others yeah
2: over the course of maybe 30 40 years there have been different documentary film festivals the one that existed before us was down in Bryan college station i think it was kind of a student thing but they ended in 2002 Or maybe it was san antonio there was another one in the state and it ended in like 0102 and so there wasn't one at the time in 2007 And, and that was a big deciding factor for us because you know i came from a very business background the family was in retail and i've done a lot of service type business and i knew it was important to distinguish ourselves somehow from the really large film statewide film community i mean there's there's like 25 film festivals right now in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So then you consider like Houston and Austin and San Antonio and El Paso and all these other towns, and you can just really imagine how many film festivals there are in Texas. So we wanted to distinguish ourselves. It was very important that we were unique. And then also the University of North Texas was really focused on documentary production at the time. The faculty and staff there were some very well-respected documentary filmmakers, and there was a master's program in documentary film production. So there was already some, some energy and history in the documentary world, and so we just kind of built on that. And plus, you know, we wanted something that would, would reflect well on the community and on the university and vice versa, so it seemed like, like the right decision.
1: Do you still have the same people helping you or have your compatriots changed over the years?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we do have some people with us now that have been with us for seven, eight years. But I think typically it's like a three to four year cycle. You know, someone will come in and contribute very heavily with their time and energy for a few years and you know something happens in their life and it's they move on to the next big project so that is always a struggle and I think with every nonprofit that's a struggle because you you know you bring people in and they get trained and they understand the systems and then they contribute to those systems and then they're potentially gone and then you have to go through that cycle again so it's definitely one of those things that prevents the nonprofits from improving and growing at maybe the rate at which a you know for-profit, a successful for-profit event would.
1: Well, we mentioned adapting the festival. You have had quite the uh, motivation to adapt here since COVID's reared its ugly head. How has that affected your Thin Line Fest?
2: can't really speak to that without also speaking to how it has affected my overall life. I have, I've been working professionally in the virtual hybrid event space for about 15 years and quit that job in December of 2019 to start my own virtual event production company. And little did I know at the time that the entire world would shift to virtual event production. So we were really well positioned to take advantage of the, of the new found interest in virtual events. But I also knew how to do them. right I knew how to produce virtual events and do them successfully and with, with little investment. And so that first year, I think we had a, or in 2020, we had a meeting, I think March 6th or 7th, and we decided we were going to go ahead and go virtual. South by Southwest had just canceled the day before, but there weren't a whole lot of cancellations at that point. We decided we were going to do it. And then... I think two weeks later is when the lockdown began. It was like March 23rd or something like that. And a festival was scheduled to begin on the 25th. So we had about two to three weeks to transition the festival, which wasn't too bad because we had the solutions. We had the the platform, we had the resources, the people, the, the, the know-how. And it was great because as a company, uh, we were able to really focus our, our efforts on creating a successful virtual event for FinLine and we got a lot of great press about it and the festival was immensely successful and we we did it in a way, in a format that was kind of revolutionary you know, at the time, I mean it was just how we had been doing it but when all of a sudden everything went virtual, you had a whole lot of people not really knowing what to do and how to create these events and everyone was kind of guessing because the, the, the people that had done it often you know, there weren't that many of us around. So you know, since then, most film festivals have kind of become more of an on demand format where you can log in and then watch whatever you want, like Netflix style. And then once the festival is over, I'm using air quotes, uh, then you lost access to that content. But it was a very on demand ish. And we did a fully live festival on March 25th, and went four days, and we did live films and live intros and live QA's with filmmakers from around the world. And we're really able to create that live experience like we are accustomed to having during the festival time. And that's the format we stuck with, whereas so many festivals have kind of gone this on demand route. But then we saw, even this year, Sundance did a fully live festival they did have some on-demand pieces but they made sure to do everything live because that is the festival experience right is it's just festival does not equal Netflix right that isn't those two experiences are not really the same Uh, so it was was important for us to maintain as much of the live uh, experience as we could.
1: That's awesome. You got to capture that energy. I know exactly what you're saying. That's the fun part of a festival and I didn't realize, Joshua, you were kind of the go-to guy there then for virtual experiences when all this COVID happened. Is it there has to be advantages to having it virtually. I mean, you certainly can have people join in that aren't really there. They don't have to be in them. They can be in Japan and or whatever. And then I'm sure also, though, there must be some challenges to not having it in person. As you say, there is that energy with a festival.
2: It was nice last year because the, the filmmakers and distributors weren't really ready for everything to go virtual. And so there weren't a whole lot of restrictions. You see, with the physical screening, there is a built in geographical restriction an attendee is not going to fly from Japan to attend that screening. So if you are a distributor, you know that if you have a screening in Denton, you don't have to worry about the Japanese audience, the UK audience, the Canadian audience, right? Or even the California audience. You're only being distributed to a very small geographical area around that festival. Virtual kind of blows that all to pieces, right? Because the geographical restriction is gone. So what they have done, distributors, filmmakers over this last year, has implemented uh, a requirement to what's called geo restrict access to a particular screening. So it's not all filmmakers. Some they're like, yeah, you know, more people, the merrier. But other films require us to limit access to, let's say, only the Dallas Fort Worth area or potentially only the state of Texas. So in one way it's good that everyone can see it, but on the other hand, the the content owners in this industry don't really like that because they want to withhold those licenses for like the big streaming platforms where they can obviously make a lot more money on that on that license.
1: Where does the name Thin Line come from?
2: Interestingly enough, it was actually created, I mean not created, but A board member at the time came up with it. His name is David Alvarado, and he's a very successful documentary filmmaker now. In fact, it looks like we're going to be able to open with his film, which is going his next film, which is world premiering at South by Southwest here in the next few weeks called We Are As Gods. And that is is looking more like it's going to be our opening night film. And then we also have a film, uh, his wife's film, from last year's South by Southwest called Red Heaven. About a group of scientists that start to study and learn together what it would be like to live and, and work on Mars. Uh, and they've created a little habitat. I think it's in like a, a desert area somewhere, maybe Arizona. So he's definitely uh, involved with us and we get his films every chance we, we can. You know, we use that card like, hey, you, you created the name. So you have to give us your films. But he's always very gracious and does so. But it was about this idea that there's such a thin line between what is real and what is contrived and within the documentary genre, because we all think of documentaries as being, you know, fact. It's like truth. Uh, But in actuality, it's a story. It's a film. And it's 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 facts, potentially, that have been filtered through the artistic process of a filmmaker. And that includes the decisions of what to show and when to show it and how long to show it and what music to place over top of it, the sequence of, of scenes to create a specific effect. I mean, all of those things are contrived artistic choices that will ultimately change the story from the original facts. And so you have to kind of approach a documentary with some some questions, right? Like, This where does this filmmaker come from and and what is the motivation behind this story, but also from an entertainment perspective. And that's always been one of my big angles with documentary films. I, I it's great that I learned something, but I also want to be entertained. Right. I want to enjoy the 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 film watching experience. And so that's why this thin line idea like, is it real or is it not, is always very appealing to me. And I, I love the documentaries that are so kind of crazy and or the, the subject matter is so t- uh, crazy or the subject person is just over the top. And you think, there is no way this is real, right? And so you're, the whole movie you're thinking, is this made up or is this real? Uh, those are the films that I really enjoy watching and I really enjoy programming, but you know, there's not that many of those around. So when it comes to documentaries, it's, is it entertaining? Is it informative in some way? Uh, and those are the real primary objectives for our programming.
1: Well, listening to you talk makes me want to watch them right now <laughs> that is so true. And it's so true that you can tell the same story in so many different ways, make it a whole different story depending on what you do to tell the story. Where do your festival submissions come from?
2: We use an online service called Film Freeway where you know anyone can submit their documentary. We get hundreds of submissions from around the world. We are an international festival, so we get quite a few international submissions. Uh, This year, we've got a really great programming team. Uh, One of our senior programmers, Farhad, has really curated a great international lineup. In fact, it's about a dozen films that are all U.S. premieres. So this was a really big deal for us that we were able to get this many really high-quality international documentaries that have never been shown before in the U.S.
1: Can you give the listeners an idea of what kind of documentaries you include? What categories? Are they different links? Are there different levels of artistic talent? That kind of thing.
2: The documentaries run the gamut. I mean, all the international stuff is is very, very interesting. From, uh, Afghanistan and South Africa and Russia and all over the, Europe, Canada. So very diverse geographical locations for these filmmakers. And, and then we, we try and be very diverse just in terms of subject matter, right? So, it might be some social issues, some arts topics, potentially like crime documentary, some historical matter. So, we, we try and give, you know, hit, hit everyone's watching preferences in some way. Uh, one question you, you asked earlier that I wanted to kind of expand more on was the advantages and negatives of doing things virtually. And I mentioned the positive of it being you know, no geographical area. And I think overall, and especially coming from my business, seeing the way in which all of these virtual events have dramatically grown their user base, uh, you know, so many more people were, are able to attend virtual events that it's going to make it really hard not to do virtual once everything does return to whatever the new normal will be. I mean, I think there will always be a segment of the population that is like, "You know what? No, I'm I'm going to stay away from large groups of people because it could it could be anything, you know? It, it could be the flu." And so it's important that as we transition back that we still want to capture that digital audience, that virtual audience that isn't going to drive to Denton. On the hard side, I mean, clearly we don't have the physical thing, right? So much of the way that a festival is organized and built is based on the physical location of the event. Line, for instance, very Denton-centric in terms of our sponsorship. And our advertisers and our attendees, and, and the overall experience. The music is very local style music. And so, when all of that goes away, when you remove the geographical part of the festival, then you kind of remove some of the incentive for those sponsors. The city is not getting the same benefit that they were when two, three, 4,000 people were coming into town. So the festival has to, again, really adapt and find new ways of, of creating revenue and also to really understand the new economic model because your costs are different. Everything is different in many ways. I personally have enjoyed the transition to virtual. I have found it a lot easier to manage and to execute, you know, we can do more. I don't have this, this restriction of Oh, I only have one screen. Uh, No, I actually have infinitum screens, right? Like I could do 20 screens at one time if I wanted to, I'm really only limited to people resources, equipment resources. And I I happen to have a lot of those things with Falcon events, my company. So I love the the virtual format. And we're definitely going to continue in some sort of virtual capacity. I mean, yes, we hope to get into a theater and we hope to still be able to have beers with our attendees and the artists because that's that's a key part of the festival. But you know, we're doing some things this year that are going to help us kind of bridge that that experience gap a bit. Last year, we used a platform, an out-of-the-box platform that I have used professionally for a long time. This year, we're actually building out our own web environment to create a virtual event, a virtual festival experience for people. So you will actually click a link to go to theater one or click the button to go to theater two, and all of the content for that day will be streaming in that theater. Uh, and then we're using another tool that is used regularly by events that allows people to, it's going to be hard for me to totally explain. It's one of those things you have to seed and experience to really like know. but everyone that enters this environment does so as a video user it's kind of like with zoom where it just assumes you're going to be there in person and have your camera on and your microphone on and you can talk to people and see other people that are there with you so that's what it's going to be like with our music events and some of our vip filmmaker lounge type things but for music you're going to enter a venue you know, last year we didn't do music because it was like two was too quick, too hard to, to transition. This year, we're definitely doing some music, like 20, 30 acts. It's going to look very similar to a regular festival where we've got five acts, four or five acts in one show, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 kind of thing, building to a headliner and you will go to the venue. I don't, know, don't take me literally here. You're not going to a physical venue, but you know, virtually you're going to go to these venues, either dance, Silverleaf or rubber gloves, And you're going to actually see everyone else that is there and your camera will be on and before each show and in between each act, you will be able to mingle and socialize with everyone else that is at that show with you, there will be a floor plan and you can kind of go over to the bar area and sit with eight or 10 people at the bar. I'm using air quotes, bar, and have a conversation with them. You can sit at different tables. You can see where your friends are sitting and go sit at a table with them. And when the music performance is going to begin, all of the table conversations, they they go away and everyone has to focus on the presentation, which will be the music performance. So trying to create that, that social connection amongst people, that Happens naturally as a part of a festival experience. So the festival is going to be live. All of the films are streamed live. All of the music, although mostly pre-recorded, will be streamed live. So it'll be like premieres. It will be streamed live. All of the filmmakers will be on for live Q and A afterwards. Even after that, you can go into the lounge and have more one-on-one Facetime with the filmmakers. We've got all this great music. We're gonna have some educational content as well, some panels and some workshops. And it's all gonna be accessible, all for free, all through our website, thenline.us.
1: And you don't have to worry about finding a good seat or sitting together.
2: That's right, absolutely. Uh, We were going to do the whole like social thing with our films as well. I decided against it because I think a lot of people go to movies not, you know, they're not exactly social people, right? They're like, lights are off. I'm going to watch this movie and then I'm going to leave. Music is a little different. And this year we are actually adding the ability to cast. So for the technical people out there, you'll be able to Chromecast and Apple Airplay, uh, the content to the television, your living room or your theater with your surround sound, the, the whole bit. So Uh, It's going to be a much higher quality experience than even last year, but just as easy to use and even easier to engage with fellow attendees.
1: And then you have a group of jurors that give awards for your different categories. And now looking on your website at last year's jurors, you had some pretty big hitters. Are you have the similar jurors this year? And can you talk a little bit about how the documentaries are judged?
2: It is a really great lineup of jurors. So we're super excited to have all these very professional filmmakers and industry people contributing, some past filmmakers, some local filmmakers. So it is a really great lineup. And they are going to watch all the best stuff content and they're gonna make their recommendations for all of our awards
1: do you still have an award for the denton connection the texas connection we
2: do yes we are doing a denton award this year uh, and i've been in communication with susan our film programming director about who are the possible recipients of that award so uh, we've got some great contenders and a last minute one too we had a film come in i think I don't think it's ready yet. I think it's gonna be ready like the week before the festival potentially, but it's a local filmmaker and always happy to support our local filmmakers.
1: How does your attendance go with this virtual versus having it on site? Are you noticing that you're having more in attendance? I I know you just have last year to base it on. So, but I'm curious.
2: And you know, it's going to be hard to beat last year because it was so new, right? There wasn't anyone doing virtual at the time. There was one other festival that had done it up in Michigan and they guessed and we, you know, executed professionally. And so we were really one of the first ones out the gate and we were able to keep 95% of the films, I think, that we were going to screen festival, which was huge. And we had a couple films that they were on and off, like, oh, we're not going to sure to let them screen it or oh, it's going to be restricted to Texas. But in the end, they decided, you know what, we're just going to let this be open and anyone can attend. And so we did some press on it and got it got picked up by two national magazines. This was right as the pandemic began. So people were stuck in their homes, nothing to do. And this national press really pushed like, hey, you can watch this screening for free at this festival. And so we had 2,500 attendees the first screening, and then we had almost 3,000 attendees at the second screening. And based on our surveys that we took from attendees, we know that for every registered attendee, it represented on average 2.5 people. So they weren't necessarily watching just with themselves. They were with their family or friends in their living room or wherever watching the screening. So... We know just from that one film, we had 7,500 unique attendees and that right there is more unique attendees than we've ever had in the history of the festival. Also to note, you know, there's a bit of a number game happening sometimes with festivals and it's like, it's always, the numbers always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But we made a decision a few years ago, right, to go free. So what that meant was we were no longer selling tickets on a per event basis. We were registering people for the festival. So we started tracking unique individuals. And the very first year we did that, it was 2017. I think we had 6,500 unique registrants. And that did taper off for the next couple of years. But we had over 17,000 unique registrants at the 2020 festival. <laughs> so, wow. I know, it was crazy. It's two and a half times, it's 250% greater attendance uh, last year. So, I'm I'm a little nervous. I'm like, how how am I going to beat that? You know, like it's going to be such an outlier. But we're going to do our best and try and get some more big press. And we've got such a great lineup. All these films are really great films. Last year we had this period of time where so many films didn't get shown because so many festivals canceled or they weren't comfortable doing the streaming thing. They wanted to have that festival experience, and so we were able to go back, you know, as far back as the summer. Even earlier, and look at films that just didn't get the time on the circuit that they deserved. So, the lineup is really great this year.
1: Very smart. You mentioned sponsorship earlier and the difficulty with more Denton sponsorship since you're not quite so local. Who are your sponsors this year?
2: Total transparency here I am way behind on sponsorships. <laughs> in fact if anyone out there wants to sponsor you can send me an email because that's another great thing about virtual it used to be with physical i had a deadline for my program my physical printed program you know I had to get everything done and in that book before we went to print now that deadline's gone right i can take an image or a logo and i can pop it on the website and run it before movies right up to the the day of show but, you know, just in general, we are still working on sponsors. I, you know, I do have a, a good list of people that I'm hoping I'm able to close the deal here in the next week or two. But definitely the one we have on board 100% is Panavision. They've always been a great sponsor of ours, and, and they do sponsor all of our awards so that all those filmmakers can walk away from the awards and, and be able to contribute to their next project. Uh, Gear is one of the most expensive pieces of any of any project and the feature uh, filmmaker can walk away with a $15,000 credit with Panavision that can be used. It's almost like a $15,000 Panavision check and it doesn't expire so they can, whatever they want in the future, go to Panavision and get full camera rentals, full lighting package rentals um, to support their next project.
1: Well, speaking as a member of the Denton community, I think it is important that we support festivals like Line in our community. It's wonderful for our community to have something like this that's of this caliber. And I do think it's important for people listening or not listening to step up and support this kind of event. I noticed the previous years you had something listed in terms of a photo gallery. Will that also be included with this year's or is that going to wait until you can do it In person,
2: yeah. Last year in 2020, we did create a virtual photography gallery, and it's just not the same, you know, as walking through a a physical gallery. And that was the real intention behind doing the photography festival was to take a lot of this photography content and and exhibit it, right, and display it in a public space and. The virtual gallery was very well attended last year. I think we had like 3,500 unique individuals come through the virtual gallery and we did a contest where people could vote for their favorite, but it also felt like we couldn't do it as much justice, you know, doing it again that way just seemed like not as important as doing something with music this year. So the photo festival is not a part of the event this year hoping to bring it back next year once we can get into some physical galleries. We will, however, have some photo-based educational content, some workshops from some of our photographers that we've worked with over the past few years. So there will be some content there for our photographers, but that's a piece that we Kind of exchanged for the effort that we're putting into the music
1: component this year. Wow, that sounds like something interesting to me. I'm glad to know about that. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and one, one thing, so last year we, we typically do a VIP pass. Starting in 2017, it was like a $99 pass where you got access to the theater first, so you would be able to get the best seats and general admission had to wait So those, you know, you had access to the the VIP lounge, which is refreshments and stuff. So there was a bit of a a benefit of being a VIP during a physical event. Last year, we didn't offer it because, you know, I didn't really know what we're going to give to the VIP attendee. But this year we are reintroducing the VIP ticket. And so for $99, you will get some additional access to not content because it's very important for us that always access to the content is free. So there's never going to be, oh, there, there's premium content for you. know That's not the way it goes. But what we are doing this year is for music events, if you are a premium registration uh, registrant, then you'll be able to do the casting. You'll get a special link that will allow you to cast those music events to your television. Casting will come for free with film, so no worries there. On the film side, after the live Q&A, and the way we handle Q&A is we do a little text-based Q and A widget off to the side of the on-screen player, and people type in their questions, and the best questions rise to the top, and they get answered kind of in order. But they're always answered live. The filmmaker is on camera; everyone's seeing them. But there's not like a two-way communication except from the text. So for VIP pass holders this year, they're going to be able to after the after the live Q and A, they're going to be able to go into a VIP lounge, that social platform we were talking about earlier that allows you to see and hear and directly communicate with other people at your table or in your area. So if you're a VIP pass holder, you'll get some like one-on-one time potentially with filmmakers and artists that are here for each of our
1: films. Nice, so where do we go to sign up and watch?
2: So for everyone that wants to attend the festival this year, all you have to do is go to finline.us that's T-H-I-N-L-I-N-E dot U-S. Even though I say dot U-S like five times, you're still going to type dot com. It's totally fine. Just do a Google search for Thinline Fest. We will be the very top search return. Thinline.us is the website. It's going to be really obvious for you where to click to register and then log in when it comes time for the event. That's the only web address you need. access to all of the films, all of the music, all of the social activities will all be accessible right there through our website, thinline.us.
1: Thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate, first of all, the time you spend on this endeavor. Having something like this in Denton is so important and I really appreciate you using your expertise and your talent and your time to do this. And also, I know it's a busy time for you in organizing everything for the festival. So, thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. You know, my goal is to be retired, you know, at at 50, 60, whatever, and, and still be running this festival. So, I totally plan on seeing my 50th festival year at some point in Denton. So, yeah, and we're not we're not going anywhere. The format may change, but we will remain. Something
1: tells me with your energy, you're not gonna retire at fifty or sixty, but that's yet to be seen. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Hey, I might
2: retire at 40 and then just play the whole there you time, go. you know? There you
1: go. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. This has been Susan Supak speaking with Joshua Butler about the 2021 Thin Line Fest, March twenty-four to March twenty eighth. Get ready to be entertained, educated, and enlightened. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.